Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. The book of Jonah is a series meant to help us understand conflict. And it begins with conflict with God. I don't want to necessarily bend to what God wants for me. Even though I know it, I understand it. I don't really want to go there. And so that conflict with God often leads to conflict within ourselves. And that conflict within ourselves is related to conflict with other people. To be human is to live in conflict. And the book of Jonah shows us just how easy it is to get caught up in conflict and not have any way to know how to move forward. We thought at the conclusion of that series on the book of Jonah, it would be really fitting to have someone whose primary ministry is to help those of us who love and follow Jesus to understand and navigate through conflict in a way that honors him. So it's my privilege to introduce to you our speaker for this morning, Pastor Brian Noble. And would you just greet him with a, a warm welcome? Thank you. Um, thank you. I've known Pastor Brian for about two hours. <laughs> We're old friends. We are. Uh, but I can tell you we have a connection. We both have one wife and four children. That's, That's right. pretty cool. That's right. And I don't know if you could tell by his wonderful beard and his perfectly coiffed hair, his oldest, his son, is a barber. I don't yes. know if you're... Yes, thank you. I don't want to bite into too much of your time. Would you no. just join me as we pray for Pastor yes. Brian and for our hearts as we listen? God, we thank you for laying it on Pastor Brian's heart to care about how those who honor and follow you will navigate conflict. And we see the cost, the great toll that conflict poorly resolved has taken on your kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so we pray today that you would anoint him to speak and you would anoint us to receive your words on this very important topic. And now bless him as he becomes for you your voice for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Say amen. Amen. If you'd like to answer back today, feel free. And I, for the sound person, I do talk rather loud, so uh, you can just adjust it accordingly. Uh, Pastor Dave, thank you so much for uh, having Peacemaker Ministries here. I know that as have been a pastor for 25 years, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking when you're not sure of a ministry, like are they going to be good, are they not going to be good, or you know, all those kind of things. And so if it's not good, just come back next week. You'll have a great preacher and teacher next week, and, and we'll have a, a lot of fun. So as Pastor Dave was saying, I have one wife and four children. Uh, my oldest wife is uh, 45. I'm just kidding. I'm playing with you. Come on. So uh, my oldest son is 20. He's a barber, and he's married to Rachel. who's a beautician. And so they uh, do a lot with the beauty and that kind of stuff. And then my daughter, Isabella, she's 18. She's never walked or talked, never spoke. She has a trach and a G-tube. She's a special needs child. And we call her our little missionary because we always have a nurse in our home who's uh, ministering to her. And we've seen many of those nurses come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so uh, at our church, oftentimes people say, is this your wife? That's why I always say I have one wife, because they see the nurse and they don't know. We go to a fairly large church and, and I'm like, no, that's Isabella's nurse. 
And then I have Gideon, who was born on April 1st. Yep, he encompasses everything about that day. Yep. And so we see that Gideon, uh, he will play a prank, and he's a very patient man. He, he put a, a fake mouse in the pancake batter, and we went keto for like a week. And uh, I'm just kidding. But we went keto for a while, and my wife opens up the pancake batter, sees the mouse, screams, and we went back to keto again. So... Uh, then we have Gabriel, and he is our little angel. He's like 13, and we call him our little angel from heaven, except that he just entered into puberty, and so now he's like a little demon. <laughs> so Gabriel, for the longest time, I'd say, hey, clean your bedroom. He'd say, it's my pleasure to clean my bedroom. He would go do it. And now he says, I don't sleep in there, and he argues the whole time. So please pray uh, for me. <laughs> my wife loves it when I go off and teach peacemaking because I get better at my skills every time I teach. We have a spicy marriage. Uh, we're both, both very opinionated. Uh, and we've been married about 20, since 97, so do the math, whatever that is, 22 years. Our first seven years were hell on earth. Our next four years were purgatory. I don't even believe in purgatory, but I lived there. And then our last 10 or 11 years, we've been good friends. All right? So if you're here and you're like in your first seven years of marriage, you're just coming out of hell. So uh, you, you will be okay. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't worry. So uh, my new book out is out from Baker Publishing, The Path of a Peacemaker. It's available at our bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold. However, if you do purchase it from us, it gives us a couple bucks and it helps us out. So we would appreciate if you did that. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to dive into God's Word. And as we go into the Word of God today, if you like something that I'm saying, you can say amen or that's right. Uh, that's okay with me. If you don't like something I'm saying, you can say, nah, that's not right. And if you're really irritated, well, there's the door. Uh, so, but we're going to dive in. It's always, it, as being a kind of a one hit wonder, it's always hard because as a pastor, my heart is to take you from chapter one down to chapter five, you know, bring you through the whole book. Unfortunately, uh, we don't want you falling out of windowsills as like it did for Paul when he was preaching. And so we are gonna, going to concise it down just to verse 14. And we're going to start in chapter 5 in just a few moments. I want to ask you a question. What do you count in life? Have you ever thought about people where some people are numbers people? Like for me, when I'm walking down the sidewalk, there'll be little lines. And I'll count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And I'll count my steps in between those lines. My wife says that is absolutely crazy and insane. And so that's why we have a spicy marriage. But uh, so I count, like wherever I go, I'm thinking in numbers, I'm thinking in counting. My first degree uh, is an ele- electronics engineering degree, and so that's just how I'm kind of wired to count. Well, other people see things in color, right? They see things through colors, and they kind of look at life that way. Um, I just totally don't get those people, so we're not going to have that kind of a colorful sermon today. But uh, I, 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 my wife sees things in colors, and so we're going to ask you this morning, what are the things that you count this morning, in your relationships, in those that you work with, and those that you go through, that you're interacting with. So let's pray before we dive into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Your word is active, it's living, it's alive. God, we don't worship the letters on a page, we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is the word of life, God. And Lord, I pray that in this divine moment, you brought us together, that your work would be done, God. God, that it wouldn't be my words or my actions or my abilities, 
But God, it truly would be your word that comes in and transforms us from the inside out, God. God, would you shape us and mold us into the likeness of your son, God? Where we would have the head theology come into a heart theology, our practical theology that flows out of our lives, oh God. Lord, so many of us have way more doctrine, way more information than we have practical application. I know that's true in my life, and Lord, I just pray for your help, and I ask that you would go before me in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that we might live, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through the reconciling the world to himself. Look at this, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He has made him who knew no sin be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let's start at the beginning. For the love of Christ controls us. How many people here would say, you know what, when I first got married, it wasn't exactly like what I thought it was going to be. Raise your hand. No, oh, a few of you were really brave, right? All the rest of you are single then, I take it. No. So marriage is an interesting thing. And even being single is an interesting thing because in our relationships, in our friendships, we have to always ask ourselves this question, what is controlling us? Look at this idea. For the love of Christ control, controls us. Have you ever thought about that word love and what it really means? I know that when I was first married, it had one definition. And then when I went through marriage a little bit longer, it had another definition. And then I went a little bit longer. As I've gotten older, it's had another definition. Because that love idea at first was just like when I was in teenager years, I would be looking at a girl and I was a band geek. How many band geeks do we have? Any band geeks? Yeah, a couple of us. I went to state a champion basketball uh, four times and I was in the band all the time. So, and so I, I would just tell you that I, I would look at, I can remember Becky and Becky was so cute and I was so in love with Becky, right? I don't even know where Becky is nowadays, but my love was so deep for her. But it was more of an infatuation. It was more of just an attraction towards her. And I'm not sure that that's what was controlling me, whether it was love or whether it was lust at that very moment. And so we look at this. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. So when you think about your life, what is controlling your life? And if you're a young person here today and you're thinking, maybe it's fear that's controlling my life right now. How many of us know that we have a lot of expectations placed upon us? 
And something comes in and controls us. The, the ability to achieve, the ability to want to do better, the ability to, to, you know, to be successful or, or whatever it might be. And something will control your life. And church, I want to tell you today that when Christ's love controls you, all the fear of this world begins to go out of your body. Can you say amen to that? Perfect love casts out all fear. Look at this. Is it bitterness that controls you? Because oftentimes we can have situations that, that we sit down at or we go through that we say, you know what, I'm never going to let that happen again. So we shut off our love and we hold on to a heart of bitterness. What is controlling you? Is it the love of Christ where God's love is defined as patience, his kindness, he's not jealous, he does not anger, he does not boast, but he brings hope into the situation. Look at this. Having concluded this, one died for us all, therefore all have died. As peacemakers, we firmly believe that if you want to have reconciled relationships, you've got to look at what's controlling you. What is shaping that relationship and defining that relationship? I've sat down with many couples who are on the verge of divorce and helping them through their conflicts. And I ask them, what are you doing now in your relationship to control that relationship? Versus what did you do when you were dating? And you know what I find about couples? Is that while they were dating, they like did stuff like little texting of you know, emojis like, I love you, little heart, 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 heart. I care about you. There was like flirting that was going on, right? I went to dinner together. I, we sat down and we went on long walks together. I said, oh, when's the last time you texted your wife that way? Now, I will tell you this. If your kids share your Apple ID, be careful because your texts come up on their, uh, their devices. So be careful with your flirting, with the the idea. But see, this is what was happening. You were flirting with your spouse. You were flirting with that person that you got married to. You went on dates and you spent time and you invested in that. Because why? You were controlled by love and you overlooked a whole bunch of stuff because you were patient and kind and had hope for that relationship. And I look at this, and this is where we have to get back to those simple things, where we stop counting those things against us. Why? Not because of our own abilities, but simply because Jesus died for their fallenness. I can remember preaching in Uganda one day, and I was at an interpreter or translator, and I said, God is good, and the Ugandan said, all the time. And then I said, all the time, and they said, God is good. And then in unison, the Ugandan said, because that is his nature. So I turned to the translator, which is a no-no, and I start talking to the translator, but he's translating my t- conversation with him. I'm like, no, no, stop translating. And I said, did they always say because that is his nature? He said, yes. And so I did it again, and we went through that. And it, I don't know if you've ever been like communicating and having two conversations going on at the same time, but this other conversation was going on in my mind that I had this rose that God loved me, God loved me not. God loved me, God loved me not. It was a circumstantial rose that I would, oh, God loved me, God loved me not. And God would say, would you just put down the rose and say he loves me? And many of your walk with Christ, if you have that rose, where you're looking through circumstances to figure out the character of God, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, it's going to be a problem for you. 
Because all the enemy of your soul has to do is bring the next circumstance that's difficult or a challenge or he says, sit down, let, let God's love just simply control you. Be controlled by that love. Then I get home from Uganda and I'm talking with my wife and it was one of those Christian discussions, if you know what I mean. It was getting a little bit heated and that rose popped in my mind again. It was like, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And the same challenge came to my heart. Will you put down the rose and just say she loves me? See, what's going to control your relationship with God and what's going to control your relationship with each other? What are you controlled by? Now look at this. In verse uh, 15, it says, And Jesus died for all so that we may live, no longer live for ourselves or for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So the first question is, what is controlling you? The second question is, in your relationship with God and in your relationship with others, what are you living for? Now, some would say, well, I don't know if my relationship with God should be as identical as my relationship with others. But Jesus said very clearly that the two greatest commandments is to love God and to love others. So he lays the foundation that this, this vertical relationship is very proportional to this horizontal relationship that we have. And so when you think about information, we begin to understand that the question that we have is, am I living for myself or am I living for others? He died once for all so that they may receive this new life no longer living for themselves. Could you imagine if Jesus just lived for himself? How much our theology would change? Think about that for a moment. It would change dramatically. And this morning, God wants to do something in our hearts and our minds and in our communities in this area where there's a people who rise up and begin to say, no longer will we live for ourselves, but we'll live for the fact that we're going to outlove people. We're going to outcare for people. We're going to live for others. We're going to lay down our lives for others so that they may experience the gospel message. A community like that is a transformed community where we begin to understand so that we no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. We sing about that this morning. Over and over, we talked about that this morning, about the love of Christ and Christ who died for us and rose again that we may have newness of life. See, we've got to stop counting. Why? Because Jesus overcame that sin. Jesus resurrected What would change in our relationships if instead of looking at someone else's fallenness, we we began to see them through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It would change dramatically. Why? Because as Paul encourages in Philippians, he says that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church, where he laid down his life. Someone's lost. Well, at the end, we're going to lead you to Jesus. (laughs) So what we see here is that he died. Now look at this. Therefore, verse 16, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Have you thought about how you recognize people? I I recently had a uh, conversation uh, with a a gentleman. And the first thing... um, we sit down, we have coffee. He said, the first thing he, out of his mouth, he says is, I, I just want you to know I'm a practicing homosexual 
and I'm a Christian. I'm like, all right. He goes, so what, are you just going to get up and leave now? Like, that was the first thing out of his mouth when we sat down. I'm like, well, uh, are you asking what my personal beliefs are on this topic? Or what? He goes, no, I already know what your personal beliefs are on the topic. He was like trying to push the button or push the envelope. I said, well, if you already know my personal beliefs, when, then what, you want to, do you want to argue? Or what, what, what's the point here? And, and he's like, no, 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 no. And so he's like, I just wanted to get to know you. I said, well, let's get to know each other then. See, when we regard each other as the flesh, we can pick up people's sin and just define them that way. And the problem with being in community for a long time is that we know all the sins of how someone is, right? We know all the things that they've done wrong, all the problems that they've gone through in their life. And we no longer define people through the redemption of Jesus Christ, but we begin to define them by their past. How many of you, is this just me or... Right? So we're in community for a long time. And he says this, therefore we regard no one according to their flesh any longer. I love that because how many of you want to be defined by your past failures all the time? Nobody. How many want to be defined because Jesus resurrected from the dead? Right? That's what I want to be defined by. And so this is where we begin to understand. And some say, what do I do? Every time I'm, I'm seen as that little kid who did this or that little kid who did that, and I'm seen through the context of my life, and I've been in community, and I love my people, but, but what do I do? Because we keep defining according to our flesh instead of defining people according to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in them. I know as raising kids, it's been oftentimes very difficult because you see patterns in your kids. And as you're raising them, it's easy to look through the past lens of those patterns, isn't it? I will tell you that there is something about the gospel that if you can grab a hold of it and begin to embrace it in your parenting, where you not only talk about the death and the burial, the things that they shouldn't do, but you begin to talk about the resurrection and the newness of life, the things that God has empowered them to do. That it transforms how you, how you parent them. You no longer define them about stop this, stop that, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this. You begin to say, but guess what? God is doing a new work within you. You got this. You can walk in the righteousness that Jesus Christ provides. Could you imagine if we coached the same way we sometimes do Christianity? I don't know if you're into baseball, but I'm not really, so I'm going to make some stuff up. But could you imagine if some of church is all about you're going you're gonna to strike out? That's the death burial part, right? That's the stuff you need to die to. So the team, the guy goes, the kid goes up with his little helmet on. I hated baseball, by the way. I went up and they're like, your coach is like, hey, you're going to miss the ball. Close your eyes. Swing. And he come up, see, I told you you're going to miss it. That's how some of us coach Christianity. What does the coach do? He says, get up, get your eyes on the ball. It never did help me. I had 2,800 vision. Negative 14 in this eye, negative 13 in this eye. I never saw the ball. But that's another story. He would get up and said, Brian, keep your eye on the ball. And I'm like, I don't see the ball. He's like, well, it's not coming this way. Look that way. And so I try my best to keep my eye on the ball. And so we would swing, swing through the ball, they would say, right? Which never made any sense to me. But anyway, whatever. And we coach Christianity speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where we begin to say, guess what? You are not going to sin because you are a man of God. You are a woman of God. 
One of my big pet peeves, and this is not in my notes, so I'll probably get in trouble for this. But one of my big pet peeves is that we tell our kids that there's these teenage years where they get to be rebellious. Did you know that that's nowhere in the Bible? I tell my kids, you're either a boy or you're a man, or you're a girl or you're a woman. There's no in-between rebellious stage. That's a U.S. culture thing. See, I want my kids to know something, that they are men of God, that they are women of God, that they can walk in righteousness, that they can walk in the purity of God. We don't regard them according to the flesh any longer. We stop counting all the deeds of the flesh, and we begin to proclaim over them the promises of God's word that will change and challenge them. Nobody wants to be a part of a a, a team that says you're going to always strike out. You are going to have days where you walk in the righteousness and holiness of God. Because why? Not because of you. Because you're just not that big of a deal. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not that big of a deal. See, you are not that big of a deal. And why is that important? Because when you realize that you're not a big deal and the big deal is Jesus in you, it changes you. Because it becomes a faith that is not based upon you, but based upon him. And Jesus has done and is doing a brand new work within you. See, we regard no one according to the flesh, or we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we saw Jesus according to the flesh, they will live for Christ and was raised for them. Now look at verse 16. Let's go to verse 17, because I already did verse 16. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. I love that. In the New Living Translation, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Have you thought about embracing that fact that you are brand new? Have any of you ever bought a brand new car? Yeah. Or a brand new pair of shoes or something brand new, brand new piece of gum? Right? Hopefully it's new, right? There's something about that newness that is amazing, isn't it? And the fact is, you get in that car and you're like, now you can buy air softeners or fresheners that smell like new cars. They don't smell the same, just so you know. But you smell it, you're like, oh, that's a new car. Or, man, those are new shoes. Which shoes get a little bit more comfortable as you wear them a little bit longer, but, you know. Or that's, man, those are new jeans. Or whatever was new for you. And I want you to know that God's mercies and his loving kindness are new every single morning. So you may have fallen short yesterday as a spouse. You may have fallen short as an individual. But today, God says, I am doing a new work within you. Forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. And when you realize that God is a big deal and you begin to embrace that you are brand new, it will transform you. Because you stop counting the old past stuff that you've done and you start believing the resurrection and the hope that Christ has placed in you, which is newness of life. Your Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's bringing that newness of life to you. You say, I don't feel new. Could you imagine a brand new car talking to you and saying, I don't feel brand new. You'd say, well, I don't care how you feel. You are brand new. No, no, no. I'm old. I'm a clunker. No, no, no. 
you just came out of the manufacturing plant, you're brand new. No, I feel like I'm not brand new. What would you believe, the filling, or would you believe the fact that they just came out of the manufacturing plant? And so many of us are driven by our feelings instead of understanding that the word of God has said that you are brand new today. He has made you new. For he who the son has set free is absolutely free indeed. You are no longer controlled by sin. When you get up to that plate, you're not going to strike out because Jesus is going to be hitting that ball for you. Why? He has made you brand new. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is what happens in intimate relationships that we're in. In close relationships, sometimes it's easier to define people by their fallenness instead of defining them by the new creation of Christ within them. See, all the enemy has to do is to see, have you see what's wrong with your spouse all the time. And that self-talk, which is probably counselors in this room, it doesn't mean you're insane. We all have self-talk, constant conversation going in our head. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to have some thoughts that just don't think about Jesus. Don't see that person through Jesus. And my question today, are you seeing the, your spouses or your best friends fallenness, or are you seeing that God is doing a new work within them? And then what are you going to proclaim louder? Are you going to proclaim their fallenness louder? Keep telling that story over and over louder? Or are you going to proclaim the truth that God says about them louder? I was officiating a wedding in North Idaho one day. There was a red barn over here. White chairs, those cheap chairs that you rent. You know what I'm talking about? Those white cheap chairs were all in rows. were in this field. It was beautiful. The bride and her father comes to the center aisle and is standing there. And it hits me in that moment. Because of my daughter's disabilities, I will never walk my daughter down the aisle, right? That, that's the thought that goes into my mind. And a couple tears got in my eyes and started coming down. My emotions started going a little bit. And so the, it was the Rafferty family. And, and so I, uh, I officiate the wedding, and people came up and said, Pastor, you're so close to the Rafferty's. I saw you cry up there. That was so sweet. Like any good pastor, I just lied to him. I said, I love the Rafferty's. I sit in my car later on that night, and I was thinking about that thought of not walking my daughter down the aisle. And have you ever complained to God a little bit? Or whined to Yes, that was me. I was whining to God. And I, I, I was complaining to him, and this thought went through my mind. Yeah, you may not get to walk your daughter down to, the king of, or the, to losers, but you'll get to walk your daughter down to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Her first word that she will ever speak will be Jesus. Her first dance will be in the presence of the Almighty. So as an unfiltered pastor, I got up at Sunday, next Sunday at church. I said, hey, the men of this world get to walk their daughters down to losers. I get to walk my daughter down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, you have to understand something. We were processing her disability for like 10, 15 years altogether. So it wasn't like it was, I'm, I'm taking this a little out of context. But, but what, what I'm saying to you is this eternal perspective came in where I no longer defined my daughter by her disability. I began to define her by an eternal perspective and joy came over my heart. Do you know how I'm, I'm so excited to be in heaven. 
I will have more days of my daughter. She probably will annoy me in heaven. She'll probably be a talker. She's like, for 18 years I was quiet. Now I'm going to talk for eternity. I'll be like, oh, just shut up. But what I'm saying to you is I will have more days with her whole and complete than I will ever have in this fallen world. And some of us in our marriages or in our relationships, we only have a here and now perspective and we forget to have an eternal perspective that right now we're here to demonstrate a dying to ourselves and walking in newness of life so that those around us see the gospel. But I guarantee with your spouse, you will have more days without that annoying behavior that they do in heaven, unless it's a good annoying behavior, than than here on earth. You're proclaiming the gospel through your marriage. You are proclaiming the gospel through your friendships. And it's not about everyone in alignment and everyone in this joy fest or this kind of thing like this. It's simply about dying to ourselves and saying, Christ, I want the newness of life within me. And showing that you have surrendered yourself to Christ. Look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. We said that. The old has passed away. Say the old's dead. Go ahead, say it. The old is dead. And what? Behold, all things are new. Say all things are new. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're looking brand new today. It ain't the Botox. Tell them that. All right, that was offensive. We'll keep going. Now look at this, verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What did God give us? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now in context, we're supposed to reconcile people to God or introduce them to Jesus. That's what it's talking about. But how can we introduce them to Jesus if we're not reconciled with each other? In fact, in John chapter 13, I believe it is, Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by your relationship, your love for each other. Namely, that God was in Christ himself, uh, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. And church, this is where I want to ask you, what are you counting? In your closest friendships, what are you counting? In your closest relationships, what are you counting? What's the scoreboard? Who's ahead? Who's behind? Is there a scoreboard? Because if there is, you'll never experience the reconciliation of Christ. See, God reconciled the world to himself through his son, Jesus. He eliminated the scoreboard and paid the price for whatever may be going on in your relationships. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as through God. We're making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as the team quietly plays behind me, I'm going to ask that you be transparent this morning. You may be here and say, you know what? There's some stuff I've been counting that I just need to lay at the cross. 
It could be in your workplace. Maybe you have someone who's annoying you there. It could be at home. It could be in a friendship. You've been just counting these things up and you say, you know what? Lord, I no longer want to carry these counts. I want to lay it down and recognize that you have paid the price. See, I believe that wherever we go, whatever we do, that God wants our relationships to be the strongest because it's the greatest evangelism tool he's ever had. For he who knew no sin, Jesus, 100% righteous, died for 100% unrighteous. At your greatest point of injustice is your greatest opportunity for Christ-likeness. Some of you want to be right so bad. And on this side of heaven, it's just not going to happen. Jesus is the only one that's right. So I don't know how you normally respond. I'll just do it how I typically do it. But if you're here and you say, you know what? I have a relationship that I've just been counting some stuff and I want to lay it at the cross today. I just want you to stand to your feet and say, that's me. And I'm going to do a prayer. We're going to sing this song and then I'll do a prayer at the end of the song. You say, you know what? I have some stuff I just want to lay at the cross. It's not count any longer. It could be at work. It could be in a friendship. It could be a brother or sister that you have. It could be, it could be your spouse. It could be whatever relationship you have. You say, I need to stop counting this stuff and lay it down. I want you to stand as we sing the song. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.